welcome to a quick Conversations of Change podcast with Dr. Jen Fram. We have a change chat with one of the leaders in the change management field. Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Jen Fram from Conversations of Change. Gee whiz, it's been a while, hasn't it? A few months now since uh, the last episode that I shared with you. Thank you for still sticking around and being there. Um, Look, it's been a really good time for me, a very productive time. So in terms of why have you been away and not bringing people to us, I've been working on a, a few changes to both this podcast and my business in general and lining up a stellar cast for 2018. And part of the changes that are going to come through to this podcast is that this year I really want to focus on change leadership. If you read my blog post that was the end of uh, 2017, my reflections on the year, one of the things that I noted was that increasingly I'm viewing the biggest accelerator we have for good change in organisations is change leadership. Um, certainly we need to change, we need to lift change capability across all of the organisation, but the more that we can do to improve the quality of change leadership to amplify those great change leaders that are out there, the better we will see organisational change in our businesses. So this year I really want to turn you know um, a, a spotlight on great change leaders um, some of the struggles they face things that they do um, and as the the guests come through this year hopefully you'll find that that's that's more of, of what we're looking at so speaking of leadership um, earlier this month I spoke at the CEO and chair symposium um, of the associations forum in Hobart And they had asked me to prepare a talk that um, would really help the leaders of their associations with their juggling of transformation and also their business as usual. Um, And it struck me that this actually might be something that you guys would be particularly interested in um, and might be useful to you. So this particular podcast episode is just going to be me sharing with you um, the, the, I guess, the highlights or the key points that I made in that talk, um, which really was that of all the frameworks and consulting models and things that can be useful to leaders in, in managing their business as usual and their transformation efforts, from my perspective, it really only comes down to five qualities that will really help them with this. So without further ado, um, I'll get into to some of the things that I spoke about. I I will note it was actually really fascinating for me when I was talking to this audience. Um, So they're all leaders of associations uh, in Australia. And can I tell you, I don't think there's one topic or interest area that does not have an association uh, that's organised for them. It was quite remarkable. And for me, it created a real experience of deja vu because I'm not sure if many of you know this, but um, it was back in the early 90s, so around 1993, 94, 95, I was the executive officer of a professional services association that focused on the veterinary industry. Um, And so for me to have had that experience all those many years ago and then come back into this space was really, really interesting. So 25 years ago, my world was about accountability for recruiting members, keeping members happy and retained, 
negotiating with large pharmaceutical companies for sponsorship, developing and implementing member services, ensuring strong communication for members, and then member advocacy, so PR, media, cooperative advertising. And of course, large-scale industry change hit. So we had mega mergers with our sources of funding. Um, and that was really interesting because where once upon a time I'd been negotiating for a, a chunk of change from one big pharmaceutical company and a chunk of change from another, and then they'd merged together. And all of a sudden, quite curiously, you wouldn't get two chunks of change anymore. You'd get half the chunk of change, um, which was really quite a struggle with the, the funding and finance of, of your organisation. We also had legislative profession changes happening. We had changing customer and audience purchasing behaviours. And, of course, what technology was starting to boom in the early to mid-90s, Big tick for those of you who just called out Internet Explorer, a clinic or practice private computing, which in our world meant clinic computing, um, and the need for having business web pages. So my world really was about juggling these transformational changes to the association that I was leading, as well as managing the BAU. So to say that I felt like I was juggling and in a high state of adrenaline on a daily basis was definitely an understatement. Um, and, you know, in reflection, you don't need to have a PhD in change management to see that there can be some very problematic side effects of poorly led change. And I probably did not do my best work at that time of my life. However, um, you know, I think with the hindsight of the couple of decades that have gone past and, and all the organisations I've worked on, this was actually a really nice talk to give because it was almost like a talk to my, my younger self to say what I know now, um, what would have been really useful to me back then. So putting all academic consulting frameworks to one side, I would argue now that there are five qualities that enable you to lead change well and step away from the juggling. So the first quality is courage. Now, courage is an interesting one, and I, I know um, a number of you know that this is something that I've been exploring in a couple of forums. Um, and I think the piece for me that's really interesting about courage is that often when we think about bravery and courage, we think about big acts of courage. So leaving the abusive partner, um, running into a house burning down to save a child, leaving a really well-paying job of 20 years to do something new. And it requires extraordinary energy. And you know that you've been courageous because people say, oh my, you've been so brave. Now, this isn't what I'm actually talking about in context of change leadership. What I'm talking about more are the micro moments of courage. So the really small acts of courage. And this can be the little things. So the courage to be decisive, knowing that some people that you respect are not going to be happy with you. As it means for a period of time, they're going to be in a position of loss. So juggling all the various positions on change that you're leading can be really exhausting. While you remain in a state of consensus or collective decision-making, you always have balls in the air that you're trying to juggle. So it can actually be more courageous to take a position on something. Um, another act of micro-courage is to let others around you step up and do things that you would normally do. So a redistribution of power and control, if you like, 
Now, if you are used to controlling everything, then empowering others is actually quite courageous. Um, Equally, the courage to say no. So to reprioritize and put some of the things that your organization does on hold uh, is, is quite powerful. So letting go of previous agendas and focusing on what needs to be done, um, that actually is, a, is an act of courage that's quite noteworthy um, because often you have these incredible forces of inertia and expectation that want you to continue down a path that has already been established. So juggling becomes really unsustainable when you have too much on your plate. Um, it's courageous to acknowledge as a leader of change that you can't do it all and you need to redefine what it is to be done and who does it. Many of you listening will be familiar with the metaphor of the burning platform um, originally shared by Daryl Connor in his book The Speed of Change. Now many of you also think that you need to create a fire before you can get people to change. Now it turns out that that's not what the metaphor is actually about. So it's about courage and commitment. Um, In 1988, uh, Daryl Connor was watching a news story of the Alpha Piper oil rig disaster in the North Sea off the coast of Scotland. 166 crew members and two rescuers lost their lives. It was quite dire. Now, one of the surviving crew members was Andy Mocken, a superintendent on the rig. And on the news show that Connor was watching, he described the courage and commitment it required to jump off the platform which would mean facing probable death. The freezing water was littered with burning oil and steel shards, right? (laughs) Not a good choice. Um, And further, at at that temperature, he he only had about 20 minutes in the water that he could stay alive um, if he wasn't rescued in time. So it was a choice of staying on the platform meant certain death, um, jumping off the platform, the burning platform, meant probable death. And in that moment, watching that that conversation, that interview, uh, Connor recognised the mindset and behaviour as what he was seeing in business leaders who were being really successful in change. So that commitment and courage to, to make that leap. Now, what I would argue is you don't need to let it get to the point where you're faced with a decision between certain death and probable death. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. If you're utilising, if you know, you're following the notion of small acts of courage, it's actually going to help you avoid getting to the point where you need to have an incredible commitment to courage. Now, the second quality um, that I would argue helps move beyond juggling is vulnerability. So uh, I'm hoping many of you have seen Brene Brown's um, now famous TEDx talk. Um, So Brene Brown, the renowned researcher and author, and the TEDx talk is The Power of Vulnerability. Now in it, Brown says, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity and change. Now, like courage, vulnerability is one of those qualities where many people associate with big things. So when you lose your job, when you lose your business, um, then you feel really vulnerable and then and only then you can make that vulnerability public and ask for help. Now, what I've come to find is that the power in vulnerability 
particularly in change, is not waiting until it all goes pear-shaped, right? Um, you don't need to be at the bottom, rock bottom, to be able to ask for help. So what this means for change leaders, though, is that if the changes that are happening within their associations or their organisations make them feel uncomfortable, uneasy, anxious and only slightly uncomfortable, uneasy or anxious, then that's the time to start sharing those um, that, that experience of being vulnerable with their leadership team, their employees, their member bases. Because here's the really interesting thing that I know, is that by opening it up and being real is what actually creates followers, right? Um, and you're going to need the followers if you want to be successful with change. If you're constantly armoring up, chest out, chin out, um, you know, there's a high risk you're going to end up like the John Maxwell quote, he who thinks he leads but has no followers is only out taking a walk. Um, neuroscience studies tell us that our brains are constantly making assessments on whether the person we are talking to with is, is working out, are you like us or are you not like us? So in primal terms, are you part of my tribe or are you a threat? Letting the cracks show from a, a vulnerability perspective gives people around you the opportunity to identify with you and relate to you so you can lead the tribe. If you seem unrelatable, your employees will perceive you as a threat. Now, I, I'm reminded... Um, so some of you last year will have been at the Allegra uh, Think Tank event and on it I knew that I had, so I was one of the, the speakers at that event and I had to deliver some fairly harsh messages of change to the change community um, around, you know, lifting their game around adoption of technology um, and their practice. <clears throat> And in it, I chose to share a story which, as it happens, I ended up feeling incredibly vulnerable. So I knew I was going to have to be courageous to share the story on that stage. Um, and I shared with the audience about the previous year I'd taken up pole dancing classes, um, which we can all have a very good laugh about at some stage. And look, it was it was heaps of fun. It really was. Um, and the message in sharing that story was that every week going into that class, I was probably the oldest in the class by a good 20 years. I was probably the heaviest in the class by about a good 30, 40 kilos. Um, so I actually needed a lot of courage to show up in that class. And I, I thought, you know, initially when you, you plan talks and things like that, I was like, yeah, no, that's a really good example to show how you've got to keep learning new things, even if it feels difficult, all that kind of stuff. What I didn't appreciate was that once I was actually up on that stage, how awful I would feel sharing that story because I was actually being quite vulnerable with that audience. The most remarkable thing happened. I had um, so many people come up to me after that talk and they particularly referenced that example and what that meant for them. So for me, being real and sharing something that had actually taken a lot of courage for me um, created a followership, if you like, and certainly meant that those really harsh messages that I needed to share or the confronting ones were heard because people could relate to the level of discomfort that I shared on that stage. 
So I think vulnerability, um, you know, it's it makes us feel so uncomfortable to go into that space, but it can be so incredibly powerful in a space of change. Now, while we're flirting with neuroscience, um, the third quality I want to bring to attention is mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is very popular at the moment, um, almost faddish in application, but I kind of get why. Um, an, ap- an ability to practice mindfulness on a daily basis activates what's known as the direct experience neural network. Now, the direct experience neural network is the one that's activated by our sensory experiences. So touch, taste, smell, all those kind of things. When you're engaged with our senses or from a sensory perspective, it's very concrete. It's not abstract at all. And so what that effectively does is disengage the default network, which is our uh, probably our more normal way of, of thinking. Your default network is the one which is responsible for rumination, imagination, planning, that all up in your head kind of space. So part of the experience of juggling is trying to manage the temporal concerns of change. So disappointment and cynicism born of the past, anxiety and hope about the future, um, all those things that keep going round and round in your brain. Now, a commitment to mindfulness asks us to focus on what it means to lead change today, the here and now, so the sensory experience of change. So whether it's moments of meditation, breathing, relaxing muscles that have been tense during the day, all of those smaller activities of mindfulness, they allow you to do a circuit breaker on that constant rumination, planning, imagining um, the high anxiety state. So it allows you to sense and respond to change. The fourth quality, I wish I'd embodied all those years ago, is embracing uncertainty. My view, my view of, of change leadership was very much about lock it down, right? make sure that you had a plan and that we could follow it. Um, what I know now is that anytime I'm faced with a situation that is highly uncertain, I'm faced with a situation that's abundant in possibilities. And let me just clarify, embracing uncertainty isn't just about having a positive attitude. This is not about being a corporate Pollyanna, right? Um, there's actually a couple of things that makes embracing uncertainty easier for us. So the first is to build a diverse network. Um, and how that works for us is that you don't become dependent on a single source of information, which may not be correct. So from this, I'm I'm drawing from research back in the early 80s. Um, Philip Tetlock, who was a psychologist and a professor of leadership, he studied the accuracy of expert predictions. Now, he found that experts fell into two main groups, um, those that he called foxes, and they were uh, people who knew many things and many people. Um, And there was also the group called the hedgehogs, who knew one big thing. Now, foxes could draw on multiple sources of information and were quite tolerant of uncertainty and ambiguity, whereas hedgehogs are your right fighters of the world. They tend to stick to a single view of the world and they'll back that to the hilt. It's very difficult to change the mind of a hedgehog. Foxes often acknowledge when they make mistakes and course correct as part of that. 
So Tedlock's research found that experts were not that great at making good predictions, and there was clear evidence that foxes make better predictions than hedgehogs for the access to their diverse networks. So that's the first thing that helps you embrace uncertainty, is to maintain really diverse networks. Secondly, um, good change leadership doesn't seek to lock everything down, right? Um, it means employing more agile practices in our decision-making. So experimenting with ideas, using really short feedback loops, um, letting your feedback be your guide as to whether you're on the right path. With um, employing more agile practices, you can build the practice of defining the smallest possible experiment that will determine which way to go, and you're running multiple experiments at the same time. So from this, you can really borrow from Eric Ries' Lean Startup book and you know the Build, Measure, Learn. You know, you cannot, this is the thing that you've got to keep in mind with this and why experiments are really important, is that you cannot have change and transformation without risk. So it's kind of like asking an innovation consultant to come out, come in and help you be more innovative, but only if it's something that other people have done before um, and we've got results to prove it, okay? Not quite innovative, um, but it's born of a fear of risk. And you can de-risk uncertainty with small cycles of experiments and feedback. Finally, the fifth quality that I think is really important to change leaderships or change leadership groups is the power of being curious, so curiosity. And for me, curiosity can be the great enabler of change and transformation. It offers us, us tools to find better ways, quicker paths, easier efforts. You know, our why, how, I wonder, you know, what change is needed? What's the vision for the future? What needs to be changed? Kept the same. By deploying a curious mindset to what you've got on your plate, you move into an exploration of how to do things better and easier. So the curious mind seeks out new platforms, new skill sets, new opportunities, and it acts as a circuit breaker to premature judgment. So leaders who foster curiosity enable a shift in view, one that can be more empathetic to employees and customers. We keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things because we're curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths, said Walt Disney. And who's, who, who wants to argue with Walt Disney? I mean, seriously, that has to be the pathway to new transformation. Now, here's the real benefit, I think, for leaders today of these five qualities. If you focus on the five qualities, they're not only going to make you better at leading your organisation through transformation, but also at better at leading your business as usual. Because here's the thing, we actually don't put the business as usual to one side and then turn our attention to transformation. To be really successful you know, in business today, we're not differentiating between the two. We should be constantly changing based on what our customers require and the trends that are around us. So in summary, courage, vulnerability, mindfulness, embracing of uncertainty, and curiosity. They'd be the five that I really, really wish I'd known about uh, about 25 years ago. I hope that is helpful for you. So in finishing off this episode, um, if there are any questions that you have been thinking, gee, I wish I could talk to a change leader and ask those questions, 
I would really welcome you to email me or tweet me or catch up with me somehow, um, LinkedIn perhaps, and let me know what's on your mind and maybe I can build them into some of these uh, interviews that are coming up. Equally, if there are any particular change, leadership, change leaders that you really, really admire, um, hit me up, tell me about them, and I'll do my very best to get them on the show. But for now, it's lovely to be back with you. There are some crackers coming up, which I hope you find really, really useful. I hope all your transformation efforts are going super well, and I'll speak to you soon. If you enjoyed this change chat, then do share with your colleagues and friends. You can find more at conversationsofchange.com.au, at Jen Fram on Twitter, or Conversations of Change on the Facebook.